You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Hi, my name is Darren Simpson. I'm a student pastor here. We get to hang out with students a lot. And uh, Matt came to me about a month, month and a half ago and said, hey, uh, I'm going to be in Ohio and I would really love for you to come in to this Sticks and Stones series and uh, preach for us. And so every now and then I get the opportunity to get on stage and have a a conversation with you guys. And and every time I do this, let me tell you this, it's nerve wracking. You you, You guys are beautiful people, you're amazing people, you're intimidating. Right, And it's one of those where like, it gives you a much more profound respect for understanding kind of how Matt has to do this day in and day out on a weekly basis that Todd comes in alongside of him and, and it really is something interesting. But I'm glad that you guys are here with us today. I'm glad that you joined us. If you are either new with us or maybe you're coming in to visit family on fall break, I just wanna say welcome. We're glad that uh, you came to be a part of us. Uh, if you are a regular attendee here, you call Kingsway home. Uh, thanks for being here. Thanks for taking the time. Uh, Or maybe I should just say it this way. I'm sorry you didn't have enough money for vacation. (laughs) Maybe next year, maybe next year. But I'm excited about today. Uh, Words are a very powerful thing in our lives, right? Words are this very interesting concept that, that many of us, as we get older, I wouldn't say that we get under control. I just say that we would, and this is based off me understanding someone else, not me knowing. I would just say that we get used to suppressing the words that we wouldn't naturally use. That we, we start to create our own vocabulary and in those words that we use, all of a sudden things change. And, and like I said, we work with teenagers on a regular basis, uh, fifth through 12th grade, and this is a shout out to some of you that are in this room, woo woo, love students. Are you in here, any students in here? Yeah, they're the nervous ones that are afraid to use words right now. That's okay. But we're excited and, and happy that we're coming together today to deal with this. But we, when we work with teens, we have interesting conversations that happen all the time. Like if I were to have a conversation with you, like you and I just after this, you say, hey, uh, how's, how was your day? I'd be like, ah, oh, it was good. How was your day? Yeah, it was pretty good. And that's usually the small talk that kind of gets us to the next conversation piece, right? For most people, we don't have those deep, longing, interesting conversations just in passing. And if you do, you're like, oh, Maybe I shouldn't have asked that question, right? But with a student, it's much different. A, a, a little while back, a few months back, I, I had the privilege of one of our life group leaders wasn't able to, to make it uh, on a Sunday night. And so I had the privilege of leading a girl's life group. Never again. <laughs> right? I simply asked them, I said, hey, how was your day? And it was like crickets are chirping. They're, I don't know if I was intimidating them or they were just nervous or they just don't know how to talk to boys, uh, whatever that was. All of a sudden, finally one of them said, it's good. And that's the best conversation I have had in a long time, right? But uh, they, if you're lucky enough, they'll ask you back how your day was. I, I wouldn't call this lucky, but in those moments I was asked, how was your day? And I was like, I was good. You know, I just went to lunch with some friends. Oh, what's her name? I've been married for nine years. I went to lunch with some of my guy friends. Oh, 
I don't even know what to do right now in this moment. You've put me in this very awkward situation. How am I supposed to handle this? And so I'm like trying to justify the situation. I'm like, no, 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 just hanging out with some guy. We went to eat some Chinese food. Oh, I love Chinese food. And then some of them love Chinese food and some of them hate Chinese food. And by the time we're done, they're fist fighting over whether Chinese food is actually good or bad. And, and then one of them finally pops and said, oh, which Chinese food? Because apparently there are better ones. And I was just like, yeah, I just went to a place in Plainfield. It's really good. They kind of offer something for everyone. It's, it's yummy. And they even have sushi. And oh my goodness, you would have thought that you just destroyed an entire generation because you mentioned one word called sushi. That stuff's so nasty. Ew, how do you eat that? And I'm like, like this. <laughs> right? But uh, the conversation continues and I'm still trying to justify what's going on. They're like, oh, okay, well, fine. What are your, who are your friends? I was like, well, I went to lunch with, you know, Rhett and Amos and Tyler and Wes. We kind of just hung out and went to lunch together. Some of the guys that my coworkers, oh, it's coworkers now, not friends. I, I, can, is there a way to please you? I, who are your parents? I need to pray for them right now. And then we start talking about all these different pieces. And finally, it just gets down to this point where I'm like, guys, I, just relax. That, the whole point of the story was you asked me how my day was. Apparently that, you don't care about that. You just care about all the details of the story. I had lunch with some friends and of course, one of them pipes up and says, no, you went to lunch with some coworkers. I can't be right. Anybody ever been in a moment where you feel like you had to justify what you were saying? Maybe it's just giving somebody a simple no, right? Hey, can you do this for me? I just don't have the margin. I'm sorry, no. Why not? I, I, I just said no, no. What else do you want me to tell you? Working with teenagers is one of those things. So real quick, before we dive into words and understanding words and kind of those pieces that we're going through today, I just simply wanted to say this to you. A reminder, uh, it doesn't matter if it's teenagers or young adults, little tiny infant baby children. We have hundreds of volunteers that are spread throughout the church working with our kiddos today. And I, I know that they probably won't be able to hear us but real quick, I just wanted to give a shout out to them for all that they continue to do because they do everything in their power to use words to build up and encourage the next generation. So can you guys lift up some applause and some praise for them? Absolutely. So over the last few weeks, we've been in this Sticks and Stones series. If you've probably figured out by now, it's all about words. And oftentimes, you and I struggle with this concept, and, and this might be a younger generation situation. But I feel like more often than not today, I have to justify everything I say or do if I move or breathe or I act a certain way. If I don't include certain groups of people, all of a sudden I become a hater when realistically that was never the case, right? It's one of those moments where, uh, you know, we were trying to hang out and have some fun and, and get ready to go on a, a trip this last summer. And I just introduced, hey, uh, all the guys, if you guys would get up and go help us unload the luggage. And it was one of those moments where one of our lovely, awesome, amazing young women said, why can't the girl help and I'm like I, I just chivalry is gone trying to help but again I'm not trying to offend or trying to hurt or trying to exclude I'm just trying to create a natural way of doing things I'm trying to do the things the way that I've always learned them and worked with them 
And, and over the last few weeks, we've learned some interesting things about our words. Uh, when Matt spoke uh, two weeks ago, he talked about the, the idea that words have the ability of life and death. And how if we're not careful with how we choose our words or what we say, other people take that as a response. It gets a very difficult, very sticky situations that we always need to be encouraging with our words. And last week he talked about this idea of a heart condition and how all of us are dealing with some form of heart condition ourselves. And if the enemy gets a hold of our heart, he gets you. And oftentimes the words that we speak say more about who we are than the actual words themselves do. And this week is all about this idea of speaking up. So I have a quote that I learned many, many years ago, and it's unknown who says it, but it's a wise person knows what to say, right? Or a smart person knows what to say, but a wise person knows whether to say it or not, right? And, and all, of the, uh, all of the parents in the room are like, amen, right? Oh, all of the people who have been smart with their words are like, wait, what? Wise people know whether to say that or not. And I've been around a lot of wise people in my life only to find that one of the things that they tell me, and maybe you've heard this before, think before you speak. Students, think before you speak. It's a necessary need in your life because words change who you are. St. Francis of Assisi said, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. And you might've heard that before. It's been attributed to him over many, many books, over many, many uh, years. And the idea is simply that you and I need to use what we have, but oftentimes our words are the biggest thing that get in the way of God's word and somebody else. Our words are usually the thing that put up walls, that put up barriers, and if we're not careful, we help people build walls instead of tearing them down and challenging us to live the way God has called us to live. If we speak out of our opinion, and that opinion is far stronger than God's word, guess what? You're gonna strike out. If we speak out of our own agenda, and God is not glorified, our agenda will take over and our ideas will matter more than what God necessarily needed in that conversation. If we call ourselves Christians and yet we slander, we hate, we pervert, we distort, we even come at someone who doesn't necessarily live the same the way that we live with the same principles that we have and we try to force our lifestyle on them doesn't often work out very well. Our words need to be intentional. I tell this to our students all the time. Uh, if you guys take notes, this is something that you can write down. Uh, one of the things that is, is always on my mind is this idea that you might be the only version of Jesus that someone ever meets in their life. And I'm simply asking you to speak up. You might be the only version of Jesus that someone ever meets, meaning you're going to come into contact with people that I will never have the ability to do so. Even your family, I might not even meet half or two thirds or any of them in my lifetime. So it's your obligation to be Jesus to them. And we have to live that calling out, but we've gotta be willing to speak up in the process. But this is where it gets hard. 
Speaking up is difficult because we're not often ready for the conversation. We're not quite sure what's coming. In the moments, we might not have everything all figured out. Even if we have an approach and we go into a situation and we approach that situation with love and tenderness and kindness, it can still go south really quick. And, and, and people, especially if it's family, anybody have tried to have a hard conversation with family? They can make your blood boil really, really fast. It's interesting to see how you can even approach a situation and it can change things. But let's, let's just remove that concept from the equation. Let's remove family from the equation. Let's just look at society as a whole. What do you do when you, don't dis- when you disagree with something that you read or something that you see? It used to be when we would go into Walmart, they would have like the tabloid section, right, on the front, and it would be like one or two really bad ones and the rest of them would have decent news in them. And now it's just like, I can't tell the difference between what's real and what's fake. I don't know who's married to who or whatnot. I mean, I've just given up. But it's interesting to see when I disagree with the way that someone acts or interacts with with the words that somebody says, how do I respond in those moments? Do I respond out of fear? Do I respond out of hatred? Do I respond out of scared? Or do I respond out of the inability to control the situation? How do you respond in disagreements? This one's my favorite, tastes. And I'm not just talking food. Right? I, I wore this shirt today uh, because this is a screamo band. Right? These are the things that everybody goes, oh no, don't be that guy. Right? And I love music that's just, you wouldn't call it music. You would call it irritating. My tastes are different than your tastes. Does that mean I'm wrong? Does that mean that, 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 that you're wrong? Right, I can stand up here all day and say, good Lord, please get rid of country music. But some people in this room, very room, would be like, oh, don't do that. Please, God, don't do that. Don't make me listen to whatever he's listening to either, because that sounds awful. But tastes in music are all different, right? You turn on the radio now and you're like, wait, wait, no, 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 I'm just gonna turn this off. What's the point of having a radio in the car? Some of us live in a world where our belief system is so fixed on a rule, right, that we miss the heart of a person or fixed on an idea or a concept that we've grown up with and it's just a taste. It's just something that you and I differ in but it's okay in that moment to have a disagreement. Music is one of those, food is another one. I just had a conversation with you about Chinese food and sushi and students that don't like it. There are certain types of foods that I look at and I just go, no thanks. That shouldn't be edible, right? If the Old Testament tells me I can't eat it, I'm still, even though Jesus fulfilled the law, I'm still gonna apply that somehow. In these moments, there are certain things that I don't like to eat, right? What's that moment in your family when someone you love cooks something you hate and you go, ah, why me? Why did you do this to me? Now I have to choose. I'm gonna choose you, but in choosing you and not choosing the food, you think I hate you. And it gets into this weird situations about clothes. We all have different styles. If I show up and I dress 
my best. And I put on a, I don't even own a suit, by the way. I, I do, just for weddings and funerals. Um, but if I were to wear that, people would naturally look at me that know me and go, something's off. Why are you wearing that, right? It's not a question of, oh, you look handsome today. It's something's wrong with you. We live in a society now where we don't praise people or encourage people. I had a conversation this last week with a student and, 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 and he was trying to tell me that he's changing and, and he's trying to change the image that he's created for himself. Over the last few years, he's developed this idea of who he's become and everyone around him has accepted who he is. But the hard part is he doesn't wanna be that person anymore because that, that person cuts up and makes jokes and, and, and seems to be a problem. He wants to change, but you know what the hardest part for him to change is? It's not himself. The hardest part for him to change is other people's opinions of him. It's hard for them to see who he wants to be because they only see who he is. We do the same thing when we don't allow our kids to grow up, right? I'm 34 years old, mom, stop it. I'm an adult, I own things that I paid for with my own money. It's tough sometimes because our words, even if they're not intentional to hurt, can still hold people back. And we have to be careful with our intentions. We have to realize that what we say is valuable and important. And we should do that by building each other up, encouraging people in those moments. And I don't even wanna get into family because family is one of the hardest pieces to that puzzle. It's like the pieces, instead of dealing like, you know, normal situations are like a 10 piece puzzle that you give a two year old. But family is like that 12,000 piece puzzle that you're missing four pieces and you finally get it all put together and you wanna scream so you just throw it away. It's tough. Following Jesus involves not only eyes to see and ears to hear what God is doing in the world, but also a voice to proclaim the salvation that is presently effective. It means today God is doing a great work in your life, in my life, and we should see the good in people. The story of the students who didn't understand, I was just asking them how my day, or asking them how their day was and they were obliging. They, they learned something and I learned something from them in the moment. I learned that students are really good at speaking out. Maybe not necessarily good at speaking up, maybe not necessarily wise in how they talk all the time, even though they have light bulb moments that you're like, oh, you finally made it. They know whether good or bad, how to speak up. And if we could learn anything from them, it would be that same principle. That you and I have the ability to talk about the salvation that is presently effective. That Jesus Christ is still living and active and moving in our lives. And if we would pay attention to what's going on, if we would focus in on him, if we would see what he's doing, it would change our perspective on the way we see other people. And it would give us the ability to speak out. But speaking out is tough. First Corinthians chapter 13 tells us this in verse one to three. It said, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but did not love others, 
I would be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I'm a drummer. I like the sound of noisy things. I like beating things, but people are very quick to tell me, wow, you really like to play the drums. It's a difference in taste, but that's okay because we still serve the same God. We still are trying to work towards the same common goals. But it's telling us this, is that you could know all the languages of the world, even beyond the world. You could know the languages of the heavens. But if you refuse to love, it's worthless. It has no meaning to it. If you have the gift of prophecy, if I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans, wouldn't that be awesome? God, I don't know your will for my life. Oh, here it is and I possessed all knowledge. You see how he's encompassing everything? He's basically saying, if you were a know-it-all, if you knew absolutely everything, if I have such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing, nothing. If I gave everything I had to the poor, and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. Check out how awesome I am. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. See, Paul concludes this entire section. He continues on for several more verses. And in verse 13, he says this, three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Love, despite your disagreements, despite your imperfections, despite their attitude, despite the place that your heart is technically in right now, despite the suffering and anxiety that you battle on a regular basis, despite the brokenness that we feel or how comfortable life is or how well things are set in place, despite your status, position, or even situation, love. It trumps all. And, and I've gotta be careful not to tread on next week. I'm excited for you. I hope you continue to stay with us throughout this series. But here's something that I've always struggled with. And this is my openness. Is that the Bible is broken down into chapters and verses. But sometimes they end a chapter before they should. In my opinion anyway. And this is another one of those chapters, chapter 13, where I'm looking at this going, oh my goodness, this is awesome, this is amazing. I love this stuff. And I've even preached this message before and left out the next part. But we forget to add in chapter 14, the first part of that verse. Remember, this was a letter. This wasn't broken down into sections. The first part of that verse in chapter 14, verse one says, let love be your highest goal. It means you have a choice and you've probably been down this road before where you have a choice to uphold a rule or a choice to love the person through understanding it. That doesn't mean they don't deal with consequences of their actions. It doesn't mean that they don't deal with certain pieces to that. But if you choose the rule over the person, you miss the point. And oftentimes it's in that pivotal moment where your words change how you interact with someone. 
Your words towards the person based on the rule is you shouldn't have done that. Shame on you. Why did you do that? Your, person, your words towards the person in love is like, I'm so sorry you're having to deal with this. I, I wish the best for you. I wish it weren't like this. And it's a hard road to navigate because in our fallen generation, it gets harder and harder to love people. It gets more and more difficult. Even as a church, the moment we take a stance on certain pieces, instead of looking like successful people who are trying to go towards something, we look at people like people who hurt, who don't accept, who don't coexist. And Jesus is telling us through the words of Paul, and he even shows us in his example, to love every goal you've ever set in your life. Love triumphs over that. You need more joy in your life? Love more. You need someone to understand your perspective, your thought, your heart behind something? I promise you, they will get it more if they understand you love them then you're trying to force a rule or an agenda on them. So I'm gonna ask you to do something. I'm simply gonna ask you to drop the stone. And you're like, wait, what? That doesn't make any sense. Hard turn. I'm gonna ask you to drop the stone. See, I feel like in scripture, there is no greater representation of Jesus's ministry and the words that he uses and how he loves people than watching Jesus get trapped in John chapter eight. John chapter eight, Jesus is coming to the temple, right? He's, he's already preaching to a group of, of people. And as he's having a conversation with them, the Pharisees come in dragging a woman who's been caught in the act of adultery, right? And in this moment, we see them choose a rule over understanding the concept of love. And, and I don't know if we've missed this or something, but Jesus says, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? He pulls that from the Old Testament. That's not new. That's something that they've known. But what's interesting is this. They say these words. The law of Moses says to stone her. They go directly to the rule. Focused hard on the rules. And I often wonder what's going on in Jesus's mind, right? You know, we've heard the story, he's drawing in the sand. Maybe it's their names. I don't know what it is. But I've always just pondered, what is it like to be in a moment where you have to be very wise with your words? Because if you're not wise with your words, someone gets hurt, whether that's you, whether that's the other person, or whether that's even the Pharisees. And Jesus's intent was never to harm. And we do this by ourselves, on our own. And you know, we don't throw stones necessarily these days, but I can't believe she would say that or a lot of gossip kind of comes from this angle. Did you see what they were wearing? Can you hear, did you hear what Tommy just did? Sorry if your name's Tommy, I didn't mean to put anything on you just then, generic. I can't believe they did that. And you find something very interesting. You cannot love someone and judge them at the same time. It's just not possible. You cannot love someone and judge someone at the same time. 
We speak out these days, but oftentimes, if we're not careful, it's hurtful. And the, the problem is that somebody's usually already torn down and our words of hurt just add salt to the wound. They don't benefit or help or encourage. And Jesus is asking us to encourage. Jesus in this moment shows exactly what we're supposed to do. He says these words, all right, but let the one who has never sinned cast the first stone. And if you don't pay close enough attention to that, you'd miss some key details. The first thing is this. He doesn't say don't throw a stone. If you're the woman in that position, that's not necessarily comforting. Because at any point, somebody could pick up a stone and throw it and just negate the conversation that Jesus is having. Have you ever seen a teenager outlash? Ta-da, same situation. He doesn't say something that immediately says, put the stones down. He just simply says, all right, if, if, if you don't have any sin in your life, if, if you've never sinned before, then go ahead, go ahead. And I guarantee you that wasn't comforting. But also in that moment, he loves everyone through the situation. The words that he chooses to use puts everyone at ease. It takes him out of a position of control and puts it back onto the people to understand and learn and grow. And the Pharisees were told, they, they walk away. One by one, they kind of get off in the distance, they're, they're gone. And as that conversation unfolds, he looks at the woman and he asks her, where are your accusers? There are none. Then I don't accuse you either. A woman who is caught in a very bad situation, Jesus doesn't judge her. He doesn't scorn her. He doesn't hate her. He says, then I don't accuse you either. And there's that very pivotal phrase on the very end. Go and sin no more. It means change your ways. But don't continue living the way you live, but realize in those moments, his words created hope. They didn't tear down. They built up in that situation. And here's the hard part. God gives you and me his wisdom so that you can give it to others. It's not supposed to stay here. It's not supposed to live in here only. It's supposed to allow us to use it to move forward. Our words have the power of life and death, right? So we need to speak up. We need to give life to people. There's nothing better than, than and maybe you need to do this today, there's nothing better than sending a text message to somebody and say, hey, I love you, you're awesome and amazing, I hope you have a wonderful day. That little boost of encouragement is like a little shot of espresso that just kind of gives them more energy for the day. It makes them feel like they matter. I did it yesterday. Another pastor buddy of mine, he's struggling. He's been on my heart, been on my thoughts, and so I just simply sent him a text message. I said, I love you. Sometimes people stink, but it's okay. You are a light to this world. Don't burn out. We need to give hope. We need to speak out. The people around us 
need us to be a light to them. And the hard part is this, is that you and I, we have our own junk to deal with. But God calls us in our brokenness to build other people up. Romans chapter 13, verse eight to 14, it says, oh, nothing to anyone, that's a completely different sermon, except your own obligation to what? To love one another. If you love, uh, if you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law, for the commandment says, you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and such other commandments are summed up in this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 10 is pivotal, love does no wrong to others. So love fulfills the requirements of the law. And he goes on to say this is more urgent. The time is coming. We need to live as light. And then the hard part is we get down to um, uh, verse 12. It says the night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. And he says this verbiage where he gets into this clothing metaphor and this is something we can all understand. It says, so remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes. The darkness that we hide inside, he's saying, release that. Let that go. Don't allow that to be in your life anymore. It's time to speak up. It's time to speak out. Put on the shining armor of right living because we belong to the day. And here's the hard one. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. And that's not fake. That's not get up and put on your Sunday best. That's week in and week out, nonstop, grinding, but difficult, but worth it, love. To live it out in your life. He says, because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties, drunkenness, sexual promiscuity, immoral living, or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothing metaphor again, clothe yourselves with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. And this is the trap that we always fall into. Is that we allow Satan to manipulate our relationship with Jesus and because of that, our thoughts and our attitudes, they change. And we develop opinions based on certain things. And we act out in certain ways. And all of a sudden, the relationship with Jesus that we have that should be uplifting and encouraging other people turns into a, a frenzy fire of, I don't like that, I don't like this, that's not fair, this isn't. When Jesus calls us to love, to love to love, to love. I want us to be people of wisdom. What would it look like if every week so many people around the world, some say it's around two billion is Christians, would release into the world and be light in a dark place? Well, that's probably a pretty lofty goal that I hope someday we could eventually reach, but let's start with the 2,000 that we have here on a weekend. What if 
we became the people who would go and encouraging and lift up and build and challenge and motivate, but more than anything, love without end. Last thing is this, is the great, the greater impact starts by changing me first. We're always expecting somebody else but it starts with me. Well, that's not fair, why? It starts with me. Well, I'm doing everything in my power, they just, it starts with me. Despite your differences, love, speak words of encouragement, be present in the lives of people and even if you don't necessarily get along, Speak words of encouragement. Why? I know so many students who say things about people under their breath. And then when life actually happens and you come into contact with that person without them realizing it, there's a wall of defense that's already gone up because you've talked about them, you've said things about them, you've worded words and maybe mean things about them and all of a sudden you try to have a conversation with them and it's awkward and it's weird. Why is it weird? It shouldn't be weird, but it is weird. Why? Because we didn't speak words of encouragement about the people around us. So I'm asking you to love. A few weeks ago, we had uh, Slam Week with our school. Man, that was just a giant party, wasn't it, Tom? It was just a giant party. It was so much fun. Kids are dressing up in costumes. They've got different things that they're, they're all coming in to do. And, and, and we got to, to preach and to talk with them and work with them four straight days in a row. It, oh, my goodness. I hope it sticks I hope it matters. I gave them four challenges. I told them, be a follower of Christ. Being a follower of Christ requires you to love others despite your differences. The same thing that I'm preaching today is I'm preaching to our students in our school. The second thing that I told them was to help someone else win today. And maybe this is your biggest challenge for today. Help somebody else win today. Maybe even the Colts. The third thing is never stop praying. When we tend to, uh, to, to build up frustration, we forget to connect with God. That connection is the release of that tension. Never stop praying. And then I told them to shine out and shine bright. I would tell you to speak out and be present because people so desperately need you. You are valuable. And the people around you desperately need you. And in those conversations, we had some great talks, some good understanding. And ultimately, it came back to a couple of principles that I learned that I wanted to give you guys today. I challenged my students. We set a goal to give them something to do, so I'm gonna give you something to do. I want you to apply patience. I want you to grant forgiveness I want you to encourage. Because Lord knows, the world is rough and we don't need to add to it. We need to build each other up to have joy, to laugh for no reason than just to laugh 
to smile. It's almost like a moment that I remember with my grandfather. It's, it's, we would go over to his house and it was always an anticipation, right? I could throw a rock through my grandfather's window and he'd be like, it's okay, I'll fix it, right? My, my grandfather owned a car and he would walk to the grocery store. I'm like, but that was his lifestyle. And I love spending time with him. The little time that I got on earth with him is a direct representation of what life will be like for me with God. And I want you to have the same thing. Be encouraged. Build each other up. Apply patience. And this is what I love about it. Jesus saw the good in you. We're gonna enter into a time of communion. Servers, if you guys wanna go ahead and uh, get ready. I wanna say this to you. Jesus saw the good in you. He, he showed me uh, that love um, when he shouted out in, in Luke chapter 23, verse 34. He, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. They didn't get it. They didn't understand it, but Jesus did. Jesus knew what the greater good was in this moment and it wasn't necessarily about who he was as much as what he was doing for us. He saw it in us. He showed us that he loved us when he chose the hard path that would lead to the loss of his life. He showed us what it was like to let go of his perfection and to value my insecurities, to value my negativity, to value my frustration, to put me first. And he set the example through the concept when he spoke out. He said, God, it doesn't matter what they've done. I'll take it. And every week, some of you probably think this is a little bit weird. That's fine. I don't do it because I th think you think it's weird. I take communion every week for a couple of different purposes. One, it's to repent. It's opportunity for me to connect with God and say, you know what? I remember the sacrifice that you made for me. So therefore, I need to get right with you. And then it's also a reflection. It's like a mirror. He calls us sons and daughters. We are Christians, we're miniature versions of him. So when I take that piece of bread and that little juice, it's a reminder, it's a reflection that I'm supposed to go and do likewise. I hope today you build people up. You love them despite their differences. That you grant forgiveness and that you encourage them beyond belief. God, I thank you for a chance to speak out. God, it's, sometimes it's difficult. The people that I, I, I can work with are not always the easiest to live out my faith with but you call me to live that faith out. 
God, my family isn't always the greatest and, and sometimes there's not enough understanding and God, sometimes I don't feel loved and because of that, I struggle to love back. God, don't let it be about what others are giving to me. Let it be about what you feed me with. Let my value be in you alone because you have overcome. God, give me a chance to remember what you did for me, for us to know that you are what matters most. And because of that, we can love. It's in your name we pray.